Welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, a podcast for the politically aware brought to you by the Alliance Party. Content for this episode was recorded on Saturday, May 15, 2021. And a good evening to you. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for this evening's podcast. And this evening, we're talking with the Alliance Party's political director, Tim Cotton. The subject, critical race theory. First, just a little bit of background. Critical race theory was originally conceived at Harvard Law School back in the early 1970s. Its original purpose was to study the intersection between law and issues of race. Professor Derek Bell created a course on this subject and wrote the book called Race, Racism, and the American Law. In fact, the book is still in print today. I believe it's in its sixth edition. It'll set you back about $240 if you want to purchase it. Uh, It's expensive because it is a college textbook and it is not written for the average person who is not attending law school. There's a lot of ground to cover in critical race theory, so Tim Cotton is here with us today to help unravel this issue and examine it through the lens that the Alliance Party has crafted and codified into our manifesto. To quote the manifesto, the Alliance Party believes that universal and equal realization of benefits means that our elected officials must be a voice for all the people that they represent, regardless of race, ethnicity, gender identification, sexual orientation, religious preferences, etc., They should embrace various cultures and identities to create an inclusive society representative of our tremendous diversity. The United States has one of the most diverse populations on the planet, which is an incredible advantage and opportunity that we should leverage in our aims to be what we call a gold medal nation. Tim, welcome back to the Alliance Party After Dark. It's nice to have you back on the podcast again. Thanks, Dan. It's great to be here. Right. So first of all, I hope I got it right in the introduction. Uh, Could you fill in some of the blanks of what critical race theory is and uh, where it came from and where it's going? I can. Its roots go way back, actually. It comes out of social philosophy. And their social philosophy traditionally had always been done as to understand and explain what was going on in society. In the 1840s, 1850s, critical social theory started to to critique um, what we were doing, why we were doing it, and what are some of the changes to to help with that. So it really goes way back to the 1840s, 1850s, coming kind of coming out of the uh, Industrial Revolution. Mm-hmm. But as you said, in, it was a it was a big movement in the 70s that was precipitated by the idea that um, just intersecting with race and law was not necessarily by itself solving the problems. You know, it's hard to legislate things of the heart. Mm-hmm. And just passing a law saying that people are equal does not necessarily uh, make it so. So in the 80s, as you said, uh, it became an academic movement and, and looked primarily at how does the law intersect with race? Because um, it, it, it was born out of the idea of what we were doing all by itself really wasn't going to accomplish what we needed to accomplish. So we needed to really critically analyze what is, what is the problem? You know, you always got to start out with a problem because mm-hmm. you know, people who, people who uh, aren't, don't think they're sick, don't go to the doctor. And so the very first thing that had to happen is well, what is going on and, and how do we undo it? So that's how critical race theory came into being as a science is it's really a, 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 a out of social science as to critically analyze what is going on. Mm-hmm. That's why the textbook is so big. <laughs> yeah, the, well, you know, and, and at some point the, it escaped the proverbial ivory tower of academia and then it became twisted almost immediately into something quite different. Um, I, I just have one example here, an early example of, of this obfuscation occurred uh, in the early 1990s, when President Clinton nominated the University of Pennsylvania law professor, I believe her name was Lonnie Geiner, to uh, run the Justice Department's Civil Rights Division. And Republicans almost immediately fought this nomination, citing, among other things, that the professor had been championing a radical school of thought called critical race theory. And it, it seems like that's kind of when it entered the popular American lexicon. Uh, not as an objective study of racial issues and their effects on laws, but uh, anything that examined America's history with race. And in short, the accusation was that you know, critical race theory taught Americans to hate America. And that seems to be the, the, the slogan that a lot of people are using these days. And it was never the intent, uh, from uh, my understanding of critical race theory, it was never the intent 
it was basically an academic uh, study, and it was it was never characterized as a study in how to teach Americans to hate America. How did that happen? I mean, how do we how did we get there from, or how do we get here well, from well, there? Critical race theory itself is, in a, as opposed to traditional social theory, is for the purpose of change. So change is difficult. And, and if you're benefiting from the way things are, or if you're fearful of what that change might be, right away, you're, you're going to be opposed to that. Uh, Bill Clinton was actually an advocate of critical race theory for, because it, it challenges our assumptions. Um, you know, the, we're, we're in a, entering a post-colonial age mm-hmm. in America. And um, what critical race theory does is it looks at the colonial way of, of doing business. And is it right? Does it work? Uh, what is it doing to our society? Is it helping? Is it, and, and race is, is a deep-rooted problem in America. And not just race. Now, race... Race is a social construct as mm-hmm. much as it is biological. Um, that races can be divided not necessarily because they're biologically different, but because of where their place is in society. Sure. So what happens is people people start looking at it and saying, "Well, they're teaching us to hate America." Well, I mean, what is that? What does that mean? Uh, you know, America. What does that mean? America is supposed to be what we want it to be. That's the whole purpose of America. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, if your America is the old America and my America is the new America, well, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna collide right. on that, right. and that's what basically was happening is because the the critical race theory is saying you know the way we've treated groups and subgroups you you can add in different eras, different ages, whether it was the Irish, whether it was the Italians, you know, was it was it, you know, Muslims would fit into that, Latinos, women would fit into that. And and a huge movement right now is uh um indigenous tribes in America. Mm-hmm. The critical race theory would really include all of that and it would look at are all Americans benefiting from American society? And if not, what should we do about it? And critical race theory looks at it as a whole, not just well, what do our laws say? It looks at the whole society and, and how do we think? Because, you know, you're talking, you know, an embedded system that's been around since the founding, because we were founded in colonialism mm-hmm. and everything we've done has been based on colonialism. And now as the movement of the world really is to a post-colonial era that we're not in yet, but we're approaching it. People are opposed to, because this is a major change in the way you think about yourself and the world around you. So this is the reason for the collision. And and you talk about, you know, how we're seeing these um, different manifestations, not based, like you say, on biology, but just really sort of almost like a caste type of system. Um, but is manifesting itself in many different ways these days, isn't it? I mean, there's, there, you know, we're dealing with, uh, you know, voter suppression uh, um, in, in real estate and in financing. We're dealing with redlining, something called redlining, where they kind of like discourage certain people from uh, certain areas to, of living or certain uh, financial transactions. Um and I think Pete Buttigieg, Pete Buttigieg said this recently. He said, uh, when it comes to the urban areas, we redline in the uh, minorities and we gentrify them out a couple decades later. And uh, wow, this there, there's what are some of the other ways that we're actually seeing a manifestation of um, of the uh, inequities in our society due to uh, things that critical race theory studies. Well, similar to redlining, uh, because banks do redlining a lot. They'll take certain areas, you know, they'll, they'll draw a line through a neighborhood and, and the exact house on one side of the street will be worth 250000 and on the other side of the street is worth 119 And it's the exact same house, mm-hmm. you know, and and, uh, and it's for that for that purpose. But we also see it in, in the uh, political structure in gerrymandering, uh, where, where you try to change... Um, how the outcome of an election will be by changing who's voting and and who and where the votes are coming from. So, so you know, you're getting to choose your voters rather than the voters choose you. Mm-hmm. So, so that's a major way 
that that we see it happening but but you really see it everywhere if you really look if you're really honest with yourself and you really believe that it's an issue you see it you see it everywhere i mean mm -hmm. and 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 it's so deeply ingrained of how we think for instance create the scenario of you're jogging in the park mm -hmm. and you you come across somebody else who's walking the other way and you say good morning how are you doing today and they kind of just look at you and keep walking two things come to your mind you know you, you start you start to think you know well you know guess they're having a bad day or they're just grumpy or something's going on or you just leave it with uh the hell with them right you know? yeah. and the first thing that doesn't come to your mind isn't oh is that just because i'm white Mm -hmm. But a person of color actually has these types of experiences that that is one of the things that we'll think about is that person didn't talk to me just because I'm, I'm not white. Mm -hmm. and, and this is something that that I as a, as a white man, I can't really relate to I can say I've seen it, I can understand it. And, I'm, and but I can't really understand what it feels like. I have a good friend of mine that I worked on a campaign one time we were riding on the subway in DC. And we both got on there at the exact same time. And, but we had completely different experiences and we both had backpacks. Mm -hmm. So carrying our stuff as we we're heading to an office. And when we got off, we stopped to have a couple of beers and a sandwich. And he was explaining to me, you know, what his experience was. He's completely different than mine. Uh, I, we, we, there was no seat. So I was standing there and there were people, you know, they're kind of like, you know, how you doing there? You know, small talk, kind of move out of the way no big deal kind of turned the back on me even mm -hmm. but his experience was completely different that that he was constantly watched hmm. uh, people didn't didn't move out of his way nobody turned their back on him so when so we when we got back on the uh the metro i watched mm -hmm. to see and it was it was clear it, when you're looking for it when you're when you're honest with yourself and you go wow he was doing the exact same thing in that train, but the social construct was such, it's like, oh my. Yeah. And, and, and it's just, it's so ingrained that people didn't even do it consciously. It wasn't that a hatred. It was just, it was just the way it is, which is a terrible thing to say, but, but it was a completely different experience in the same thing. That's how deeply ingrained this is in our, in our system. Yeah. Well, it's like fish being aware of water, right? They, they, it's it's so ingrained in their minds that they not aware of it. It's all around them, but it is you know, w with with us, uh, us being our society, we have created certain ways of thinking that are habitual to the point where we we're not even conscious of it anymore. Right. How about like school now, funding? Now schools is another is another way. Mm -hmm. um, the way schools are funded. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we really need to go to a system where every student has a dollar value so to speak because what happens is in, in one school district or one county um, schools are treated differently and, and you know statistics will show you how it's divided right. and and it, it's not hidden at all as to how that's done and then and then we say well you know you know this percent this this group of people is not finishing school this group of people is not going to college and they don't have jobs and uh, you know a certain percentage of them go off to prison and and you go well, it all begins with the education system and that's why uh one of the things that has it exploding right now as a political thing is because it has been being used in education not just at the college level but it's been being worked into the public schools and trump was seeking to ban it is what has made critical race theory come to the forefront yeah. today why we're talking about it yeah that and that's where i'm i i start to s lose my understanding and comprehension of what's really going on because there's this thing called the 1619 project that the new york times uh wrote uh several months ago and it's been making a lot of headlines um here in missouri they are citing it directly uh, lawmakers are citing 1619 directly as well as uh, other critical writings as uh, basically what I would consider to be book banning. I, I, I guess that I start to lose it because I can see critical race theory as being an academic exercise, but it has been weaponized in a sense to, is it just feeding the outrage pol political machine or is it really um, mutation of 
of ignorance or something? I, I'm not sure what, what's going on with that. How can, how can we how can well, we get to the point of actually banning materials in our schools? Well, well, because it 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 will affect change. You know, um, conservatism by by its nature seeks to conserve things as they are. Progressivism mm -hmm. says we can do things better. I mean, that's just the nature of what the words mean and and what the movements are. And and if you're benefiting from a system you you don't want to see that system changed you know if you were to go back and ask plantation owners in the 1860s very early on would you be willing to go to a system where you can't own slaves anymore and well we know how that ends up when they ask when yeah. you're told that yeah. same thing i like things the way they are i don't want to change it and i'm willing to go to war to maintain my way of life and what this all of this does is it challenges all of our assumptions in our society to say that we, that we we might be able to do things better and you, if you're looking to preserve the system that exists because you're a beneficiary of it you need to stop people from learning about it and the best way to do that is to ban the books and and and, and uh, keep it from being taught Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it could be you know, the whole the whole idea of looking at society cr critically has been pushed down since it came into existence in the 1840s and 1850s. It's it's what led to the labor laws in the 1880s was because, you know, it looked at it and said, look, you know, the, you know, the, the, the working people need to have a better share and a better life of 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 the wealth that they're producing. And the whole labor movement that, that brought us to 40 hour work week and overtime and uh, weekend and you know all the stuff that came out of those movements all came out of the, the, the critically looking at social theories and all throughout that there was opposition there's always going to be opposition from the people who are beneficial are, are are benefit yeah you know what i'm saying where's that coming there but benefiting from from the system that they're in so so you're always going to have, and that's what's happening. That's what we're seeing today. We're seeing people falling into those groups of I'm, I'm for it and I'm against it, and and it's it's polarizing, and it's not necessarily ignorance. I think I think at the top levels it's deliberate and calculated, mm -hmm. and I think they teach their people who believe it uh, without looking at it because you know if you know if I'm a follower of this particular. Uh, politician which is where our system breaks down when we're, when we're doing that kind of thing mm -hmm. and they say that this is bad then i think it's bad i don't even have to read it if they say it's bad it's bad yeah. and now now critical analysis is taken out of it completely well that's interesting because i i think um yeah and perhaps the word ignorance is not the right word to use but i think a lot of people interpret this um incorrectly and i'm thinking back on there's this little town called eureka missouri which is actually just a stone's throw from where i live and there was a school board meeting there that went viral it was uh, national news and everything and, and part of this meeting was uh, i i watched this uh this white woman stand up uh almost in tears and she said i am not a racist um but it isn't really accusing people of racism though is it a critical race theory no not not at all in, in fact racism racism is, is, is that, that that's an ordeal of the heart and there's not a lot you can do about that real racism is hatred belief in superiority um uh, that's what that's where the term that i like to see and like to use is white fragility hmm. and and what that means and and none of that comes from some some valid fears but but that says that you know i really don't like talking about this for many reasons one of them being i don't really understand what's going on maybe don't they don't really believe they've ever seen it they've never really been introduced and taught to, to what does our 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 the way we treat people look because people you know you're busy with life you're not really looking at it which is why it's important to bring into education and why they don't want to bring it mm -hmm. but what happens is because it's a natural defensive mode. And I think that's a lot of times where people will go, I'm not racist, but, well, you know, you're telling me that I did what to who? And when they may not have actually done it, but they're part of a society 
that is doing it and and and, and people shouldn't take it personally it doesn't mean you you know white privilege doesn't mean you and it doesn't mean that you're getting something special because you're white it's that it's different because you're part of the dominant group it goes back to that you know the assumption of of a, of a person when you're passing them along the way it's it's different so what happens is you get all these emotions and then and and then it moves to fear fear usually turns to anger and sometimes uh, people who do start to look at it sometimes there's this deep-rooted guilt in saying yeah this is right even though i didn't do it like i didn't own slaves but but we're still in a system that benefits from that slavery and that mentality you know especially if you live in a southern state like i do people still have that mentality that you know um you know i'm lucky to have a job i you know mm -hmm. um you know, I work for the man and, you know, they're in control. They decide everything. And, and, you know, that, that same mentality is still there with every, all workers, but white fragility is different than racism because you may be uncomfortable with the subject. You may feel that you're not responsible. And, and, and then the other side uses is, is suffering from the same defensive modes and the same emotion and anger and fear and declaring everybody who doesn't jump on board with the idea that we need to change things as racist when that's not actually true at all and and that and that's part of the the, the the what's going on now and why we need to teach it and why you know why we're discussing it is because th that's not racism racism means i dislike you i feel it superior to you mm -hmm. um you know i don't want to live next to you i don't want to work with you um you know those kinds of things and and they always have a comment to to make people less than they are you know you drive by and you, and, and you see a bunch of hispanics at your local local place looking for work and and you go oh look at those people what they're looking for work this is this is yeah. how their system is working so that so there's a there's a difference but that line isn't being drawn and everybody's being called a racist who doesn't jump on a hundred percent. And so what that does is that causes people to say, well, I don't want anything to do with that because they're, because I'm not a racist and, I, and I'm not going to tolerate being called a racist. So lots of work yeah. <laughs> needs to be done. And anytime you're transforming society, it's not an easy thing, but um, the, the calling people racist as, as a, blanket term for disagreement is is really um hurting the cause yeah for sure right um i want to go back a little bit more though because there I, i've been looking at critical race theory for some time now and seeing it on the news and i'm just sort of wondering well how are some of these ways of uh that society is actually manifesting uh manifesting racial disparities and we talked a little bit about, you know, school funding, redlining and such. How about the war on drugs? I mean, what, I've heard a lot of a lot of talk about the war on drugs. And also, I think uh, that paired up with the war on drugs is this sort of disparity in the incarceration uh, rates in this country. Can you talk a little bit about that? I can. Well, I'll go back to the, the beginning of the of the war on drugs was the where did the drugs come from to start with back in the 1960s nixon uh, took a page out of the uh the british book in the north of ireland and that is to flood the streets with with drugs and uh, so people were either being sent to vietnam or or they were being being drugged because drugged people don't start a revolution you know to expand on the history of that a little bit you know ask the question of what was the big deal about noriega why was Nor mm -hmm. why did Noriega have to be arrested and why was he not allowed to testify? Well, that's because he was supplying uh, the drugs and they did not want him to tell people that. That mm -hmm. was his job down in Nicaragua to organize and get the drugs here so that the streets could be flooded. And the idea of doing that was to subdue the, the uh, minority populations into um, not rebelling. Because, I mean, the 1960s were pretty tumultuous and, and, and you know, and that they need to be subdued. And Nixon was the guy of law and order and he, he subdued them. It's like some, some went to Vietnam to be killed and, and some were drugged into non-existence. Mm. A while later, we get into the Reagan Bush years and uh, um, they use, they look to accomplish the same thing, but on the opposite front, they start the war on drugs. 
So now it becomes we're going into these neighborhoods now and, and finding all these people that were put on drugs and we're going to arrest them and send them off to jail. So, so it, what you're doing is subduing a population with the drugs because it's destroying families. It's, just, it's sending people uh, um, employment, everything. And then, and, and then you have all these Jim Crow laws that a lot of states have that says that, well, if you've ever been, if you've ever been convicted of anything, well, you can't really get a job. So even when you get out of prison, yeah. you can't get a job because you're a felon. So nobody's going to hire you. So getting out of prison really doesn't help you. And there's really no reason to stay out of prison because nobody will employ you now. You've lost all of your rights. You can't vote in a lot of these places. You can't, then you can't get a job. You put it on an application, you're done. Why, why would I hire somebody who's been to jail? Especially a black man that's been to jail. Oh my God. Yeah. What, what are people going to say? Why would you do that? And so it has this deep, you know, and it, this started in the 1960s. This is extremely calculated and, and it's a huge thing. It's still a problem. And it's, and it's one of the reasons the family unit in a lot of minority is, it has been destroyed is because of that. Because the amount of, of, of minority men, people of color, especially, I mean, um, that have been arrested mm -hmm. is it, phenomenal. And now we're seeing, um, you know, that violence has always been there, but we're seeing, we're seeing almost um, official violence uh, against them being perpetuated and you know now that's becoming an issue with with george floyd you know what what if people what if there was nobody there with a camera yeah yeah oh yeah and, I, and, it would have been swept under the carpet of course yeah it, it would have just been another yeah yeah it, it was the and so yeah that, that's a huge huge thing in our society that's been going ongoing yeah I, I'm ashamed to admit I've been pulled over uh, three times in my life, uh, twice for speeding and once for having an expired uh, tag on my license plate. And the the first thing on my mind as I'm being pulled over is, oh crap, now this is going to cost me some money, right? I, I you know, it, but but you know, in in light of you know all the incidents in you know, George Floyd and and other people of color who are being pulled over by police officers. They're not thinking about the money. I mean, it's, I, I, I can't, you know, I'm like you, I, I can't really put myself in their shoes at the moment, but I can imagine that right. their thought process when a cop is pulling them over and, and they look in their side view mirror and they see nothing but a gun coming out of its holster or something, like, my God, you know, this is, this is a life-threatening situation just because I have an expired plate or something exactly recently i was driving down on one of the main streets um well probably longer ago than i think but one of the main streets i'm, I'm driving down the down the road with a a, a guy and um, and i'm speeding there's no doubt about it it's a 35 and i know that i see a cop coming up behind me and you know i'm not going oh my god thank god there's a cop behind me i'm like yay <laughs> i'm like oh my god he's got me dead to rights i'm doing at least 55 the speed limit's 35 and i'm like this is it <laughs> there's nothing I can do about it I'm not talking my way out of this one and he goes right past me and pulls over the car in front of me and, and I'm like wow it's like what are the odds of that and as I pass by I see the person that he pulled over as a black man oh wow so the, so, so the guy that's with me he goes he goes oh thank god for driving while black wow yeah I was the one that was speeding yeah wow and it's this type of thing we just don't think about yeah, but we need to, in order for us to be a society that is, you know, with liberty and justice for all. If we really mean that, then all needs to mean all. Yeah, yeah. It it uh, I know in the nineteen nineties, uh, Clinton was, for whatever reason, um, and a, a large number of Democrats as well, uh, came down very hard on law breaking. Right, and there's this, there's this thing called three strikes and you're out. And uh, that just did nothing but increase the incarceration. And I think you're right. Once you get incarcerated, you are now a felon. And um, now you're tagged for life. And that's it. Whether or not you're maybe originally guilty, maybe just pled guilty to, to you know, this way to uh, mitigate the situation or something. But either way, that's uh, now you're down on that spiral and you're not going to get out of it. Yeah, ironically, I, I know Joe Biden was one of the authors of that. Mm -hmm. 
legislation, ironically, um, when he was a senator. And yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, Bill Clinton was no saint. I mean, let's, let's let's begin there. He did a lot of great things, and 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 what makes it hard to look at people like that is you'll go like, on this day, he was like, wow, you know, he was. He was very much in favor of critical race theory. He helped promote it. Mm -hmm. He helped fund it in certain places. But then you do this this legislation that's destroying the, the community, and and that's where understanding politics comes from. Is is there's driving forces that go that are much larger than a, a person that's elected, uh, larger than a political party, that are controlling things. And then, you know, this goes to getting money out of politics and, and corruption and all those things, because, you know, you know, you know, not to sound like an episode of the X-Files, but there's a government within the government mm -hmm. that that's controlling a lot of those things. And they're saying, look, it's like, I understand you don't want to do this. I'm not saying this conversation happened, but these conversations do happen like that, that say, you know, if you don't pass this, you're not going to get that. Yeah. And, 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 mm -hmm. uh, and it happens to to people at every level you see good people go into office and you go like man it's like i used to live next to that guy i can't believe when he became mayor he did this yeah there's reasons beyond his control or her control that these things happen and and this is the roots of stuff that we have to be attacking yeah in well well speaking of of legislatures i mean state legislatures uh, across the nation um are busy codifying what i would call defensive mechanisms Mm -hmm. uh, for critical race theory. They're codifying them in the law. In fact, in Missouri here, the state legislature just yesterday concluded their 2021 session. They're only in session for about five months. And they passed several bills that infringe on such things as people's right to protest, uh, especially if it impedes traffic. There was one uh, one legislature, state legislature in Missouri who will, rename, who will remain nameless, but he actually wanted to allow people who are driving a vehicle that injured or killed a protester to be um, to escape any sort of justice. I mean, this is sort of extreme. And, and what they're doing also <clears throat> is they're uh, issuing statewide police funding mandates that put strict limits on how on how much local communities can uh, cut their police funding. And so they've, they're sort of constructing a firewall that's somewhat authoritarian from top down. And it's a my opinion, it's been a thinly, thinly veiled attempt to suppress things like, <clears throat> like the Black Lives Matter protests. So, what can we, as the Alliance Party, how do we, how do we counteract this? I mean, obviously, we put our candidates, or we propose candidates for for running for office, but how do we, how do we emphasize this to our candidates to help counteract this trend? Well, I think everything begins with education. I mean, what we're doing today uh, is a big help, just in kind of saying, hey, look at it. And, and there's a divide. I mean, everywhere you look in America, there's something that's dividing people. Uh, um, it's kind of crazy, really. But, but when you look at, but it's predictable where those divisions will, will land. You know, the people who supported apartheid are the people who opposed critical race theory because that was applied there in their post-colonial mm -hmm. um, People, um, you know, I mentioned the North of Ireland, you go, critical race theory being applied there by Bill Clinton and, and people that he appointed in that peace process back in the 19, 1990s um, and questioning the assumptions that have been there since the 1690s had an outcome of, of, of a, a peace agreement in 1997 that, that's still in effect. But we see it today in everywhere, in, in all of our societies, uh, as I mentioned, apartheid, um, you, you could see it in all of our minority communities, right down to our Native Americans. And, and in, in the news now, you'll find that the same people that oppose critical race theory are the ones that are, are supporting the genocide in Palestine. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's easy to see which group people fall into. And that, that's, that's something that's becoming dangerous, that it's becoming too easy to see where people are falling. Because, because what happens with that, the herd mentality of that is you tend to buy into everything that mm -hmm. your group says rather than saying oh yeah i think i think they got a good idea but they got a better idea on that what happens is it becomes no this is my team everything they do is good everything your team does is bad and, yeah. and this is a very dangerous uh mechanism to enter into a society that's supposed to be um 
not done by mob rule. Right now, there's a battle on as to which mob is going to rule. <laughs> yeah. Well, to that end, I mean, there's uh, this is a challenge, uh, and I'm speaking about Missouri again. I, I, I grew up here, but I lived in California for almost 30 years. Now I'm back in Missouri, and I'm really dialing into the local politics here, particularly the politics and the rural, and the rural populations. And um, the rural populations are subjected to uh, certain forms of communication. It's, it's, it's generally conservative talk radio. And there's, there's places like the Council for National Policy, the CNP, which has successfully penetrated through religious organizations. And so they're getting bombarded with all these messages that are essentially coming from the same conservative source. You know, the, the CNP, the NRA, the Federal Society, Family Research Council, etc., they're getting just one perspective of this thing. And I, I also think you mentioned uh, Israel and Palestine. Uh, we're getting one perspective on that as well, for the most part. Uh, everybody talks about the missiles being you know, fired into Israel. Well, wait a minute. It's like Trevor Noah. I don't know if you saw his, his video recently, but he talked about the fact that what side you land on depends upon how far back in history you go. If you only go back as far as seeing rockets coming out of Gaza going into Israel, you say, oh, those, those terrible Palestinians. Uh, but if you go back a little bit further, you see Israel, you know, uh, pushing people out of their homes in, in East Jerusalem. It, 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 then it's, oh, the, the, if evil Israelis. And so the messages we're receiving are, are one-sided. So this is, this is a challenge. I mean, for the Alliance Party yeah. as well, how do we get the message out there? How do we train our candidates to tell people, hey, you know, you need to unwind yourself from some of these sources of information and, and, and make clear decisions? Part is is you know education is a, is is two ways it's two things happen in education somebody teaches and somebody learns a teacher can't make someone learn mm -hmm. and so we could we could try to educate we can put stuff out there but if somebody has their mind made up they're not going to you know if, I, if i'm completely convinced that i don't have cancer there's not a chance somebody's going to talk to me into going to see a cancer doctor mm -hmm. if i'm completely convinced that i don't need it so i'm nothing you say or nothing you do is going to make me make that change and and this propaganda machine this is no different than than in north korea where they cage people and they just they just hit them with all this information constantly 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 and brainwash them it's no different than that it you know it looks a little more freer because you could turn the radio off if you want but people are addicted to this because mm -hmm. it feeds fear, fears it feeds their angers it's, it's all emotion and and it's really hard and, and it's both both extremes are, are doing the same thing that's why i said it's you know it's, it's a fight over which mob is going to to take control and and you know the other side is doing the same thing they're all listening to the same thing and getting the same information then you've got the group of people who are who are like well i really want to know more and those people those are the people that are hungry for more information but most people in my experience they're just not hungry to learn the truth because they already have their own truth, and this is this is a uh, an age of anti-intellectualism that that we're in because people people have no desire to learn. I've seen I've seen posts on Facebook where people will say we gotta we gotta stop Facebook from fact checking. Really? Yeah. Yeah. We have a problem with facts now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we hear a lot of that uh, thinking, uh, you know, talking about uh, anti-intellectualism, uh, which really brought this to the forefront in my mind has been this COVID uh, crisis that we've been suffering from and people looking at the, uh, the CDC and saying, well, they're changing their story every two weeks because, you know, one week it's, uh, no, you don't need to wear a mask. And next week it is, yes, please wear a mask. And the latest thing now is, uh, I mean, that was a year ago. Now they're saying, okay, you can remove your masks in certain situations but I think it, it feeds this narrative, this anti-intellectual narrative saying things like, well, these people don't know what they're talking about, right? And But there is this faction of society that are naturally curious, uh, people that understand that science is really a study of nature and it's not perfect and it does change based upon you know, the, the data that comes in. But it's perpetuated by our politicians too. There was a, you know, I can't count how many times Anthony Fauci has been in front of Congress arguing with members of Congress, people that should know better. You right. know, Rand Paul, I think he's, uh, what is he, he's a 
doctor of optometry or something like that. But anyways, I mean, these people should know, should know better. And yet, I don't know if they're just doing it for political points or what, but they're, they're really knocking down the intellectualism. And, and when you remove the desire to be intellectual in our society, then I guess you open yourself up to receiving other messages that are not intellectual. Right. And, and, and that's where I think the Alliance Party fits into that is because we're, we're looking to take the, the, uh, the reasonable, you know, the common sense, the scientific approach, you know, really applying, you know, critical analysis and critical theories mm-hmm. and, and searching for the truth wherever that may lead us. And, and we don't care if it leads us towards the left. We don't care if it leads us towards the right. It's, if, if that's where the answer lies, then that's where we need to go from a real scientific reasoned common sense this is what we have to do and take emotion out of it and and it, it has to be a science you know where you know this, this is one of the greatest gifts we have is the ability to think and to reason and to not and to throw away those tools in our governing of society is is detrimental to the entire society and uh it seems fairly unique to the United States too. And I'm not sure why that is as far as industrial countries. I'm not sure. Um, I don't, I don't have an answer for that. Uh, doesn't mean I'm not going to keep searching for one, but because there is one, there's always an answer. Uh, sometimes it's, we don't really know the right questions, but mm. I'm, I'm not sure, but that, but that's what we're going to do. And we're going to, we're going to look for it, you know, and, and offer those, those real solutions to people and and then those and it's going to take intellectualism that's going to be our that's going to be our target audience there they're the ones who are going to say yeah you know what what these guys are saying makes perfect sense yeah so and 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 that's the education that's our getting our word out and always being true to the truth yeah. and and sometimes you can you can get caught up in the emotion and the fear and and uh, well you know you know we lost a candidate because of that well yeah you, you're going to lose people to the truth we see that everywhere, but I think being true to the truth, uh, scientifically, yeah. is, is, is where the Alliance Party fits in to this whole discussion. Yeah. Well, it, two things here is one is um, I would say to anybody that wants to be anti-science or anti-intellectual, I'll say, great, okay, now you don't get any more internet. You don't get your cell phones. You don't get your TV. You don't get right. your electricity. You don't get. You don't get to drive a car. In fact, you know here's a horse, go out there and see how you see how well you do. You know, I mean, it, it, to me, it's just, it's just, uh, it's crazy when you think, when you think about it. The second thing I want to point I want to make though, regarding the Alliance party is, um, I think by and large, a lot of people are starting to get fed up with this. Uh, I'm sure you're, well, I'm not sure I'm positive. You're aware of the, you know, most recent Gallup polls that take place that ask the simple question, do you identify as a Republican? Do you identify as a Democrat or do you identify as an independent? And uh, earlier this year, uh, the independents hit 50% for the first time uh, since the poll was starting to, since they started taking this poll. Now it's dropped a little bit since then, I believe. I haven't looked at this week's poll numbers yet, but it's dropped a little bit uh, at the expense of, um, uh, of uh, well, to the gain of Democrats, I believe. The Republicans are still sitting at 25%, uh, last I heard. So, I think people are ready for this. I mean, people are ready for someone like the Alliance Party to come out. Uh, and it's not just the Alliance Party, but other, you know, what we would proverbially call third parties to provide a different narrative for people because people are just getting fed up with it. Yeah. It's, I mean, there's some skewed numbers in there when you're talking about uh, independence because um, statistically independence... Uh, tend to vote the same way all the time, which means they're really not independent. So it makes it hard for us to, uh, to reach out and identify. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what does that mean? Independent? You know, does that mean, you know, that's, that's pretty ambiguous uh, yeah. term, but what it does show is, is, uh, what I think it shows is distrust. Of, I, you know, I don't, I don't really, you know, I may be voting for these guys because they're better than those guys, but that's not really the option I would like. I think that's what, that's what I'm kind of seeing in those numbers. And, um, and, that, and that's what we're hoping to offer those people a, a viable choice. And that's, you know, that, that's, that's what we're about. That's what we're heading for. But yeah, I think that number's growing. It wasn't that long ago that that number was, was far less than that, 
that. And I think it's going to continue, continue to grow. Yeah. So uh, we're coming up to the end of the podcast here. This is the part I'd like to talk about, the, um, um, the call to arms or the uh, call to action. What can people do at this point to get involved in the Alliance Party? And what can they do in the Alliance Party? You know, obviously running for office is probably the biggest thing, but let's talk a little bit more about what people can do. Yeah, there, there's, um, I mean, really, I mean, everybody has something they can do. There's no part too big or too small. I, I think the, the, the worst thing that people can do is, is to do nothing. And, and because when you do nothing, nothing happens. So, so every movement, uh, even small movements, when they, when they combine together, become big movements. Uh, uh, I think people can get involved in their state. I think that um, building an infrastructure in each state will allow us to influence the thought process of people and, and at the very least um, introduce alternative ways of looking at the problem that sits before them, which is not happening now. So, uh, so yeah, so becoming a state leader um, or a local leader will, uh, will help us to get the word out, to disseminate the information that there's an alternative view, an alternative way of looking at things and to offer people those different choices. And being, being uh, a leader in a, in a party that's made up of, of just the regular folks, so to speak, it means you don't have to have any experience. We'll teach you, we'll provide the resources, we'll get you going what we want. What you, all you really need is the desire for change and then every, everything else we can teach you. And that can be whether it's in your town, that could be uh, in, your, in your city, it can be in your county, it can be in your congressional district or, or a state leader and, and just being involved um, doing something, even if it's just, you know, writing letters to the editor, um, running for office. That's a big one because that's where, you know, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where we make the changes. And that's in every office, building trust, running for school board, uh, you know, um, mm -hmm. being able to, to ensure that students are getting an education that allows them to critically uh, react to the information. School boards, you know, county, county board of supervisors, mayors, you know, whatever. It doesn't have to be Congress, doesn't have to be uh, president doesn't have to be state legislature, although those are good places too. But getting involved in your civic community um, and, and spewing the, the ideas of the truth, which is what we're looking to do, mm -hmm. is, is, uh, is a big thing. And of course, to make any of that happen requires funds. We're not getting any corporate money. We don't want any corporate money. We don't want anybody owning us. Um, Mm -hmm. This is a people-driven thing. So making a donation on the website um, is an investment in the future. You know, we're the party of the future. We're the party of your children, their children. You know, we want to build something bigger. We don't want this battle that we're dealing with today to be inherited by our kids and their kids. We need to do something now and an and investment in that. It's important to know nobody gets paid in any way in the Alliance Party. Everybody's a volunteer from the national chairman down to the lowest level of person which i don't even know what that would be but um probably me i'm a podcaster so yeah i don't think me really because <laughs> but um but you know we know what i'm saying that that anybody uh can make an investment doesn't even have to be a big investment you'd be surprised you know, we have this thing called the java challenge which asks that everybody takes the takes the money they spend on one coffee a week and, and donate it. So that's, you know, figuring $5, yeah, coffee, good coffee probably costs you more than that. But, but, you know, make a donation of $5 a week, a recurring $20 a month donation. Those things are tremendous because that adds up fast. You get five people doing it, you got a hundred bucks of guaranteed income. And like me personally, I don't really miss the $5. I'm, not, I'm actually still drinking the coffee as much as I did. I didn't give up the mm -hmm. coffee, but that's an important way to be involved when you when you don't want to run for office, you don't want to be a leader, but you really support and you know that things need to be done. That's one of the best ways for you to help the people that can and, and will do that. And spreading the word. Just tell everybody you know. Send everybody you know to, to the Facebook pages, to Twitter, to the to the website and say, Hey, look, yeah, just take a look at this and we'll 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 go for a beer and talk about it or or over coffee or something spread the word and uh yeah. you know, keep it keep it moving yeah. well a couple of things there is uh you know one thing that i think we've all 
starting to learn here, especially as voter suppression laws are passed by states, we're beginning to realize, hey, these states are pretty important. You know, what goes on at your local level is actually having a widespread national impact. And so, um, yeah, it, it isn't just, you know, running for president or running for a senator or something like that. These these changes, all politics are local, right? These changes actually have real value at the local level that, that percolate up. And, uh, and, and including school boards, too, with the, we've been talking about critical race theory. Well, this is it's hitting the school boards at this point. So these are areas that, that uh, we need some good people and to provide some good representation. Absolutely. And the next yeah, thing, yeah. next thing, too, is uh, you mentioned all the different things people can do. Yes, obviously, donating is 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 one of the big things. And um but there's there's so much to do. There's uh, doing what I do, for example, podcasting. But there's writers, people writing for letters to the editor, people that are you know maybe writing speeches or something like that, or marketing people for artwork and and uh, you know coming up with ideas and how to engage with the people. Everything's visual with people. So um, you know any talent that anybody has could be put to use with the Alliance Party. And and hey, it's better than sitting around screaming at your TV, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we've been talking with Tim Cotton, the Alliance Party's political director. Tim, thank you again for stopping by today to discuss a topic that's been you know, stirring up a lot of passion in this country. It's good to get some perspective on critical race theory from the minds of the Alliance Party. Thank you very much, Tim. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for tuning into the Alliance Party After Dark podcast. Please consider subscribing to this podcast so that you don't miss any episodes. Each week, we'll bring you interesting topics from the Alliance Party. You may subscribe on iTunes, Google, or Spotify. If you've enjoyed listening to, today, to today's podcast and would like to get involved in the Alliance Party, as we were just talking about, go ahead and see our website at www.theallianceparty.com. As we expand the party, we need your involvement. Democracy is not a spectator sport. Donations and volunteers are always welcome. If you'd like to contact us at the Alliance Party After Dark, drop us an email at podcast at theallianceparty.com. Also, see our Twitter page at Alliance On Air. All content for this podcast is copyright the Alliance Party. Views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Alliance Party. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for this evening's edition of the Alliance Party After Dark. And on behalf of everyone at the Alliance Party, have a wonderful evening, a great week ahead, and we hope you drop in for our next show. Be safe, be aware, and please take care of yourself and those around you.